Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome, everyone, to Kids A to Z with Dr. T. I am your host, Teresa Signorelli, and we are bringing you the five areas of child development so parents can empower their children to thrive. Today's Brains and Toyland segment is called Guiding Challenging Behaviors in Young Children. And our guest is Dr. Ingrid Crowther, who is an expert in child, um, that is early childhood and middle years education. And she's got some really wonderful information for us. Um, Dr. Crowther was actually on our program last month, and she was talking about effective positive guidance with children. And in that show, we talked about positive communication strategies that parents can use with children at different stages of their communication development, and we addressed the birth to five-year skill range that our show really focuses on. So we're actually very pleased to have Dr. Crowther back to us, and she's going to expand on this general topic of using the right communication tools to help guide our children through and uh, to appropriate and successful behavioral interactions um, and actions. So welcome, Dr. Crowther. Are you there? I'm there, and I'm looking forward to this session. Great. So um, I know you were here before, but can you still talk to us and remind our audience maybe about who you are um, and what you do a little bit? Okay. Um, I'm currently an educational consultant in the early years and middle years, the executive director of Lifelong Learn, Inc., and I'm affiliated with Dominion Learning Institute of Canada that uh, offers professional development for early childhood educators and a number of early year educational organizations around the world. Okay, so maybe you can talk to us a little bit about what um, an education specialist does. Well, one of the things that I do is to help parents by answering questions, doing workshops of this nature. I do both uh, workshops that are off-site, on-site. I interact with parents on a personal level. I've done some diagnostic testing testing of children. I also work within center-based programs to help them improve quality. I'm really passionate about helping uh, families and early childhood professionals and teachers to improve quality practices for the children they deal with. Right, and I guess giving parents real hands-on, or and educators too, real good hands-on activities that they can do in their own settings. Exactly, and I, I like to do workshops or whatever I do. I always have uh, a handout that goes with it because I really feel strongly that sometimes we forget things we've heard and we want to research it and the opportunity's gone, so that's always there. And I believe, Teresa, you're going to post these on your website yeah, we have a whole bunch of um, website um, links and other information we can post. We'll post those on the site, and we'll talk about them a little bit later on in the show. 
But um, but let's start talking about, I guess, what we're really here to talk about, and that's how we manage challenging behaviors in, in young children. And some behaviors that we might see could include them being aggressive or defiant. Maybe they're particularly fussy or they might reject a lot of things you offer to them. And they could even maybe be withdrawn. They might be fearful. So let's maybe talk about why why children behave the way they do. Why do they behave these ways, perhaps? Okay, so I guess it, it goes back to some child development and going over the first two years. The first two years are really critical because we want our children to become securely attached to their primary uh, caregiver. Um, it's an excellent first start in life as these first positive interactions between the infant and the primary caregivers really serve to wire the brain. And recent re- research has really shown how important that is. Um, if a child is securely attached, they're much more likely to exhibit positive behaviors. Uh, as a reference for you, John Bowlby, Bowlby was a pioneer who first developed a theory to show the benefits of secure attachments. He identified that positive early interactions serve to lasting psychological connectedness between human beings, and that's really important. A second um, individual who has worked very hard in this area is Erickson, who has, has identified eight psychological stages of development. In his first stage, which sort of relates to the attachment, is that the child either learns to trust their primary caregiver or not to, to trust. So in essence, his first stage is trust or mistrust, depending on how the child's signals have been responded to. If the signals are listened to and an appropriate response is given, that means long-term the child will become a well-adjusted individual. Okay. Yes, go ahead, Teresa. No, no, I'm just, I'm just listening. So um, you can, you can continue. I think. Um, go ahead. <laughs> uh, so, uh, the critical part here is that if the signals are not recognized or responded to, that's when we get some of those behaviors that you talked about um, before, mm-hmm. um, Teresa: aggressiveness, passiveness, uh, variant behaviors, rejecting contact being fearful, being withdrawn, fussy, maybe throwing a temper tantrum, all of these signals um, could become very prevalent. And, of course, these are not behaviors that we want children to to exhibit. Um, Erickson's second stage is between 18 months to three years. And during this stage, children establish either independence or dependence. Um, if I'm encouraging the child to become independent, uh, this teaches the child to manage their own impulses. It also helps the child uh, doing his, his or her own thing. These are the years where the toddler is, I can do it. I can do it by myself. And learning to manage their own behaviors. During this second stage, the child will observe and copy behaviors. 
I've got some good examples for you. For example, um, this is a two-year-old, and he's standing in the bathroom and trying to take his teeth out. So his mother is asking him, you know, why are you doing that? Well, grandmother always takes her teeth out. It's a good example of how we copy behaviors, and we may not even be aware that the child has seen this, and it will copy it at a different time. Yeah. Uh, we'll experiment to see what works well. Susie, a two-and-a-half-year-old, turned around to her father and said, Shut up! He explained to her very, very carefully. You know, that wasn't a very polite way to say things, you know, that you know how to respectfully address me. So the next time the situation came up, she looked at her mother. I think it was her mother who talked to her, and she said, Shut up, please. So ah. that is not well assimilated. And where did she gain that from? When I talked to the parents, they both admit it. Yeah, they use shut up a fair amount. Yeah, it, uh, they it, will also that's a really good. Sorry, oh, I was just want to jump in for one second. That that's such a really good point of how much children are truly observing what we're doing. Um, and I, I remember seeing a poster once about um, talking about domestic violence, actually, and. It mentioned, it had a picture of probably like a two-year-old, and it said, um, you know, beware, highly sensitive recording device uh, yes. pertaining to the child. And it, it's true that they, they truly watch what we do and they imitate it and don't have the skill set to filter what is appropriate or not. Um, and I, I think that's a really important point that you're making. So um, I just wanted to comment there, but I'll let you keep going. <laughs> Well, and you're, you're quite right. I mean, we are their teachers. We are their first teachers. And children learn by what they hear, what they see, and what's modeled. Um, they will also repeat behaviors that are successful. So if you have a child who's throwing a temper tantrum and the temper tantrum gets what they want, it's going to be repeated. And there, there's no doubt about it. They've learned that this works, and therefore I'm going to use it. Yeah, it becomes also a tool in there. A tool in their yeah. communication uh, arsenal, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Um, children will establish different behavior patterns with different people or in different settings. So the example here is that um, here's a, a Noelia was two, and Noelia was um, quite a bright little girl, but very insistent on doing her own thing and getting her own way. So... When she was with her mother, her mother clearly stated what her expectations for the child were, and she was not to open the door and run outside. When her grandfather came, she went to the door, and her grandfather ran after and said, no, 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 no. Uh, Noelia opened the door, and he continued to say, no, 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 no. Noelia ran out into the driveway, and her grandfather's chasing her. So... This is not a behavior she did with her mother, but it's certainly a behavior she did with her grandfather, realizing that the no, 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 no really didn't lead to anything. Um, and I guess the, another area that we really want to be um, very concerned about is that behavior change, the behaviors that children use, behave or behave in, changes depending on the reaction received. Um, I have an example. My son and I were shopping, uh, and we had a little girl with us, and she was, she was two and a half, and my son had her in the front of her, her, the cart, 
and he told her, she asked him if she could have a chocolate bar. And he said, yeah, but, you know, let's wait till we're finished and make sure you're on your best behavior. Well, she was grabbing things off the shelf, and so he finally said, no, you can't have a chocolate bar. Well, I was doing my own shopping, and I heard this child, I heard her. <laughs> you couldn't miss her. And I walked up to um, the checkout, and there she is screaming in um, the front of this cart. I just looked at her, and I said, stop. She stopped immediately. My son was flabbergasted. But it's, she knew by my tone of voice there was no argument about this, and she just stopped. Yeah, she responded and nicely to a boundary you set. That's right. And I didn't have to be nasty. I didn't have to be angry. I just told her to stop. That's what I wanted her to do, and she did. Mm-hmm. Uh, negative behaviors will increase if we don't curb them. So in other words, if that hadn't been curbed, she would have continued that behavior, and then she would have remembered it next time and tried it again. So we have to really consistently reinforce those expectations. Right. Um, Sometimes young children get very frustrated if their signals are not understood. Um, For example, Jordan is a two and a half year old and he ha he's got a uh he's got very good receptive language. He understands everything that is said to him, but very delayed in his um verbal language. So one of the things that has happened in his case is that he's been taught some sign language and he wanted he was playing in an area and he wanted to play by himself and another peer came in and he signed to her, please go away. Well, she didn't understand it, and she sat down and played with him. Well, he got very frustrated. And, you know, we have to be understanding of this, and if we had observed this, we could have gone into that situation and said, oh, Jordan is trying to tell you that he'd like to be alone, and none of this would have happened. So those are the key things to remember about children's behavior and why they behave the way they do. Right, okay. So maybe we can talk a little bit more about um, some other challenging behaviors that we might see. And, and, you know, what can you tell us about screaming and yelling or when a child becomes physically aggressive where they might hit or bite um, or use inappropriate, uh, like, swear words, um, et cetera? What, what can you tell us about that? Well, the typic- these are typical behaviors. Two things. Mm-hmm. I think we need to remember that some of these behaviors are developmentally appropriate. Uh, You know, I don't have the language, uh, up to two years, I don't have the language to express myself, so I'm going to use alternatives to express myself. So uh, if I can't get what I want, I might bite. If I can't do something, I might start screaming. Again, if these behaviors are allowed to continue, they will continue. But the important message here is that um, you need to be patient, you need to listen to your child, and you need to very clearly state to the child, this behavior is not appropriate. Other side, you need to firmly establish that it's the behavior that isn't appropriate. The child is still appropriate and you still love the child. So it's this dual message. I love you, but I don't love what you did. Does that Mm -hmm. make sense? Right, right, because um, they don't have the words, and maybe we can talk about how we find ways to help them express verbally instead of crying or withdrawing or, um, like you said, hitting or biting or or something like that. Okay. 
Okay. So what? Um, with that said, what steps can parents or even other caregivers, teachers or babysitters and grandparents, what steps can um, all of us take to help direct children so that they're all, they are more positive uh, with how they behave and express themselves? Okay, a first step is always you have to get down down to the child's level and you have to express uh, what you want them to do. Shouting from the other side of the room isn't going to help it because that may be ignored. You have to make sure that the child is listening to you, is looking at you, and is understanding the message. Young children can only focus on one thing at a time, and that means their energy is going to be directed into what they're doing. And they may not be able to focus on that second message because that's now two things. Young children can't multitask yet. So giving you an example, Timmy was busily balancing on some of the building blocks that he had built in the living room. So he's very carefully walking over them. His mother yelled from the kitchen. Well, I shouldn't say yelled, but his mother called him from the kitchen, said, lunchtime, time to clean up. Well, Timmy just continued to do his balancing act. Now, if you could have seen Timmy, it was just delightful because the child was totally concentrated on what he was doing. He didn't hear his mother. What she should then do is to get down in front of him when he finishes his balancing and comes off the end and step down and say, Timmy, it's lunchtime, making sure she has that eye contact and that he's looking at her. And I would probably reinforce, you know, you can come back to this later. You can continue to do your balancing. Um, Always check to make sure the message has been received. You know, the child may not have heard you to begin with. And this is a really good way of grabbing and holding their attention because you're down at their level, you can see if you've got eye contact, you can see their facial expression, they can see yours, and so it's a win-win. So that's step one. Right. Okay. Uh, Step two then would be that you have to state the expectations that you have for whatever it may be. In this case, um, we need to stop and wash our hands and have our lunch. Um, But it has to be very firmly and in a pleasant voice tone. Uh, Sometimes our voice tone and our body language aren't congruent with each other. Both have to clearly state to the child, this is my expectation, this is what I want to do. This is not a negotiation. This is not something we're going to talk about. This is something you will do. It's not a choice. All right? Okie doke. Step, sorry? <laughs> nope, just okie doke. I was just agreeing. So that's step one where we're going to get down on their level and make sure that they hear us and that we have their attention when we ask them to do something. Number two, making sure that we're clear and firm um, with a pleasant tone, but making sure our body language also matches our, our message and that what we're asking them is really not a choice. Okay. That's so, um, great. So step three? Step three, and I've talked about this before. This is really important. You state your expectation once. Why only once? Because, you know, if I do it two or three times, I don't have to listen the first time. All right, an example. Um, Melanie was grabbing things off the, toy, off the shelf in the toy store as she's in her buggy. Her mother got really frustrated and said, please put it back. Don't touch. I think I heard don't touch at least ten times. But there was never any sanction for 
or, or anything to reinforce that the child is not to touch. She has learned that she can ignore her mother because her mother is going to tell her over and over and over again, and she's not going to do anything about it anyway. Only once. All right? Mm-hmm. Um, step four. This is an important step, too. Sometimes we state our expectations and we assume that the child will follow through. You have to stay within that child's vicinity and really watch the child to see if they're doing what you've asked. This gives you a really good opportunity to reinforce the expectation if it has been met because now you can smile at them, give them a pat or say, good job, you did a good job of cleaning up. But if the child isn't doing what you asked, you can then uh, get back down to their level and ask, do you remember what I asked you to do? And if the child doesn't know, then maybe you can give some clues. But you need to be there in order to see that the child is meeting those expectations. If you've got total noncompliance, um, children don't like to clean up. Most of us don't, and I'll use that as an example. You might offer to, okay, we have to do this. Um, Let's do it together. If that is unsuccessful, then perhaps removal from that particular activity for the time being to something that is a logical alternative. All right, you need to go and sit and think about cleaning up. You may go and look at your books for a little while, and then we'll come back to this chore. Right, so that's how they, I guess, can enact step three, where you're suggesting that parents just ask their um, children to do what they're asking one time. And you're then in step four, wait to see if they do it, and if they don't, you intercede or you intervene with them immediately. Um, so that you don't need to ask again, and then you give them the structure that they might need so they can follow that command or request that you made. Exactly. Okay. Okay. Uh, And, you know, and that's really, really important, especially it gives you that opportunity to follow up immediately. Our memories are very short. In 10 minutes from now, they may not even remember what you've asked them to do. Um, So really important to do that immediate follow-up. Step five, uh, it's really important that everyone, everyone involved, all, all the children, the siblings, the adults, um, are setting expectations. Um, you know, it's, it's not a bad idea to sit down and say, okay, after we play, what do we need to do? And let children set the expectations. Um, that gives some ownership of expectations, and it really it helps the child to establish some self-control. And, you know, it, it is, it's really important that children are allowed to start to set their own expectations and collaborate in setting these. The more you do this, the more likely the expectations are understood and met. So it's, it's, it's a dual thing. If I help set the expectations, I know that the child understands them and probably will be more inclined to meet them. Uh, Step six, you have to be consistent. This is critical. You can't say one thing one time and another thing another time. It has to be consistent. The more inconsistent, the more unwanted behaviors you're going to have or challenging behaviors. 
because the child is going to get very confused. I can do this one time and I can't do it another time, or I can do it with mom and I can't do it with dad. You know, uh, you really have to be consistent between partners and between situations. Right. And step seven, um, we all like praise, but make, let's make sure it's realistic praise. You know, some people reward children if they've cleaned up with a smarty. That's not realistic. We we don't need smarties to do something that we are supposed to do anyway. Uh, realistic praise can include things such as a gentle touch or making a comment or giving the child a hug. And it should always be related to what has happened. So when we were talking about cleaning up, then relate it back to cleaning up. You did a good job in cleaning up the blocks. The blocks. Right, so it's it's concrete for them, and they know what their behavior was that, that um, um, ended up with this nice reward of praise that they got. That's right, that's right. All right. That's, those are those are great. Seven steps. So those are nice concrete things parents can can do. What about actions that parents and other caregivers uh, should avoid? What should we try not to do? I think the first thing we've got to learn to do, and this is the hardest one probably, when our emotions are involved, we should not be discussing things. So if you're angry, step away from it for a while. Um, you know, when we get emotional, we tend to often say things that we don't mean. And once a word is spoken, you can't recall it. Um, avoiding certain words such as, you never clean up, or you, how many times have I told you that? These are not good words to use because it sets up a negative tone to the situation. And once we have a negativity starting, the other person will probably and the child will respond both to the voice tone and the message and respond in kind. And again, we're going back to what we said before. They pick up what you model. So when you speak in anger to a child and you're using words that are spoken in anger, that's what you're going to get back. Um, the, not only are these words hateful, but now you may be in a situation where you have to reprimand a child for something that they shouldn't have said, which really isn't their problem because it's been modeled to them. A good example is that children often, when they don't like something, will state, I hate you, or I don't love you, or I don't want to be with you. It's not really what they mean, but this is their way of expressing themselves, and now you have to deal with that behavior because it's not something you want your child to exhibit towards others. Right. Another one is that unrelated sanctions or that you're you're providing thing, uh, you're punishing the child is, I guess, uh, one way of putting it. Um, you know, example. You won't get your snack if you don't clean up. There's no relationship between feeding a child and cleaning up. This is not even logical. Children need their snack and should have a healthy snack. So if they do not clean up, what what is a logical sanction? Well, um, you could delay the snack. We'll have snack and we'll have your snack after you've cleaned up would be much more likely then you can't have your snack at all. Um, getting involved in an argument with a child, that's a no-no. <laughs> as soon as you argue, you've lost. 
there's this is a no-win situations because situation because you know once involved in an argument neither child nor adult is able to think clearly or even respond respectfully and there's there's no end to it and it it tends to get emotions involved and emotions get higher and higher so um, what um yes. and I think we talked about this on the last time you were on the show. What do you do when when you find yourself in an argument? How do you what can you do to stop and 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 move on to something more productive? I take what personally I do if I find that occurring, I take a deep breath on a count of 5 in breathe in 5 times, breathe breathes out five times, which is about the time it takes for a pause to respond. And then I say, we're not discussing this at this point. Both of us are angry. We need to think about what we're talking about and talk about this later and walk away from it. Gives both of us, both of you a chance to calm down. The other thing you have to do with a child, you have to give them opportunity to do that too. Why don't you, whatever the uh, strategy is that you use with your child that allows a child to calm down. It might be looking at a book. It might be uh, using a puzzle. In some cases, if they're really angry, you might want to pound the Play-Doh, but something that allows you to calm down for both of you and then come back to it another time and say, okay, we had a disagreement. What are we going to do about it? Okay. Okay, sounds good. So what what are some other steps that we should try to avoid? Um, taking the responsibility of the actions of the child on your own shoulders. You know, when you set the boundaries, um, you're controlling the child externally. What you want to do is get to have your child responsible. It's not your job to clean up their toys. It's the child's job. So when you allow the child to leave the toys out and you clean them up later, the whole essence of cleanup becomes your responsibility. It needs to go back to the child. Uh, the child has they to might be need, They might need some help in structure, I would think. Um, they might have yeah. so many toys out all over the place, they might not know where to begin. So I imagine helping them and giving them structure, let's do the um, puzzles first and then the dolls later or something like that, but um, making sure that they're an active participant and you're not doing it for them. Would you say that's the case? Oh, definitely. And and that's a really good point. One of the things we don't tend to do very well is monitor children's behavior while they're playing. When I finish with a puzzle, it should be cleaned up before I go to the next one. That avoids the whole um messy situation of having a whole room full of toys that are cluttered all over. Children need to learn to clean up as they go before they choose something new. And that's something that you have to model. And in the initial stages, you have to be there to make sure it happens. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I guess the other thing is that uh, you should avoid punishment. Research clearly shows this does not work. Instead, use logical consequences. Um, if the bedtime tends to be a, a big time, and if the child refuses to settle down to sleep, their first step is to find out why. You can't deal with a problem unless you know what it is. Discuss what might help the child relax. That's a discussion you can have. Uh, so, But avoid the punishment. I mean, punishing the child for not sleeping is probably going to result in more not sleeping, if that makes sense. 
Right. So have that conversation and see what's troubling the child and why they're not doing that activity you're asking them to do so that exactly. you could find a way um, to work through it, meet their needs so that they'll be able to go to sleep or clean up their toys or whatever it is that uh, you're asking them to do. That's right. Okay. Another common one is mealtime, you know. Um, mm. At mealtime, lots of children don't like certain foods. Well, the problem often is that we fill the child's plate, so we're taking responsibility for what the child eats. My suggestion would be you allow the child to choose what they want to have, and that, again, then uh, gives an indication to the child, this is on my plate, this is what I need to to eat. Um, some children don't like certain things, and you might you might try offering. Uh, why don't you try just one and see if you like it? But if you get a real refusal, um, you're not you're going to get involved in an argument or a non-eating habit. So, um, giving those choices to children and letting them choose what they wish to do is a much better strategy than doing it for the child and then punishing the child because they didn't do what you expected. Right, and you're still creating some structure for them you're, and boundaries of some sort where you're offering them certain things at mealtime. You can have X or Y, um, and they're choosing from that, um, so giving them some freedom. But I'm sure if they came and you wouldn't let them select candy for lunch or things like well, exactly. that or ice cream for dinner. Right. Okay. So, you know, the, the so, choices are out there, and in the choices you always make sure that there is at least one thing that you know the child really likes. Right. So we can we can manipulate the environment, so to speak, ahead of time that way. Okay. Exactly. So what happens if, as parents and caregivers, we've we've gone through these seven steps, we've avoided these other behaviors that you just mentioned, and they're still... Um, engaging in these behaviors that we really don't care for them to um, behave in. So what can we do then? Well, it's, it's, that's not an easy one because uh, if we've really followed those steps and if we've really set the environment so that the children know what the expectations are, uh, it usually doesn't happen. But there are some instances. Uh, for example, my... Um, very close friends of mine had three daughters, and two of them were um, normal, normal children in every way. You know, they had their ups and downs. And the third one, from the time she was born, screamed if her mother wasn't around. And I can remember going into the home and allow, so that the parents could get away and having to listen to this child scream because if you picked her up, she screamed even harder. Uh, in those instances... All you can do is to to make sure that the child is comfortable, that the child has soothing activities around her, that the, that you're around with the child, that you're you're making sure she's not hurting herself, and being there with her. All right. With older children, you really need to know why something is occurring. Uh, so you you need to interact with your children and. See if you can find out why it is that the child is behaving in a particular way. Um, if you know what the situation is that is uh, counterproductive, then offer some logical alternatives. Um, involve the child in discussing how to solve the problem. I see you having, you, you don't like doing this. 
how are we going to solve this problem? What can we do? Um, if not successful, then you offer the another choice. You provide the choice with an, another activity. It should be something related, something similar, not as a punishment. I see you can't, you, you know, you don't seem to be liking to do this activity. So let's try this one. And, and again, it's not a choice. It's firm, and you're expecting that compliance. If not successful, uh, I think we you need to provide an alternative soothing activity. You need to calm down because by this time you've gone through, nothing has worked, the child is emotional about it, you're probably emotional, so you both need to calm down, offering some soothing choices, which may, which, again, you know your child best, but I know I've had one child who really got herself into a real tizzy, and the only way to calm her down was to put her on your lap and just read a book to her and softly read the book, and then once she had calmed down, where she's in a frame of mind to listen, you can try those steps again, always giving the child the choice to rejoin activities when ready. With my own son, he he was fairly, um, he was a fairly placid individual, if I can say that, very, you know, very even-tempered, really liked doing things, and um, I think as a Nine-year-old, it changed. Oh, my goodness. It, it, there was nothing calm about anything. You never let me do anything. Well, the strategy we used, you need to go to your room and you need to think about what you said, and when you're ready to come out, you come out. And that works really well, giving children a chance to calm down and they make the initiation to come back. That works with almost any age group. Okay. Um I think those are the two main strategies to try. Right. And, and again, think, the consistency. Yeah, consistency is, is so big. But those are very helpful. And um, I, I think the big thing that resonates with me is that we you need to talk when you're both ready to talk. And a child, if they're upset yes. or if you're upset, can't create an effective environment to communicate, so um, giving them time to step back and calm down, and then we can talk about why and when and why your feelings were hurt or why they don't want to do something or maybe they need help to do the task you asked. So um, It could be but, simply that it's too hard, you know, or it's too yeah. easy. Yeah, yeah. I know for me I can remember my childhood with my basement carpeted with toys, and we were asked to clean it up, and you just you just don't know where to begin, and it's so overwhelming, and you can't get anything That's done. Right. We wound up just playing more, but with a little bit of structure um, where we could have started putting things away one bit at a time, that, that would have been really helpful and probably avoided right. some screaming matches and, and temper tantrums maybe. We didn't talk about temper tantrums. Um, how, what do we do when a child is in the throes of a temper tantrum? How can we effectively guide them out of one? Okay, first thing is you've got to remain calm. As soon as you see your child kicking up a temper tantrum, your adrenaline goes through the roof. And the immediate impression from, I get from most parents and from myself uh, is, oh, my God, what do I do? And if it's in a public place, oh, my God, everyone is looking at us. Um, nobody's going to want to hear this screaming child. You need to remain calm. You need to bring yourself back to a calm level um, because the child will sense your attention 
And that temper tantrum will increase. All right? So it may start to escalate. Second thing is, uh, once in a temper tantrum, the best thing is just to allow the child to go through the temper tantrum. Um, But you need to make sure that that child is safe. You know, if the child is throwing a temper tantrum, sitting in the grocery bucket, uh, basket and trying to get out, they may hurt themselves. You can't allow that to happen, obviously. Or if they're on the floor in the living room in the center of toys, you may need to remove the toys and objects so that the child doesn't get injured. Allow the child to work through that temper by self. Um, you, you need to observe them. You need to be there. Um, you need to, perhaps you can even put some soothing mu- music on, something to present a calming atmosphere to the child. Um, often when the, the temper tantrum starts to um, lessen and the child, you'll often find that children are just sobbing and, you know, they're, 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 their whole little bodies are shaking. They're, they're really upset. They've just gone through this em- emotional strain Often they can't even remember what the temper tantrum was about at that point. At that point, you need to be there and offer some support to the child uh, to help them calm down. They may need reassurance. They may need your help at this point to calm down. So there's those two stages when there's the violent interaction of that temper tantrum where they're they're pounding and screaming, and the second stage where they're starting to settle down um, that's where you can offer that, whatever helps your child and whatever your child um, respects in terms of this, these calming uh, mechanisms. Once the temper tantrum is over, you need to very firmly tell the child, this is not acceptable behavior. The child needs to know that you do not accept this behavior and you will, you don't want to see it again. Um and it's important to distinguish that again. I'm coming back to that. I love you, but I don't know. But I don't like what you did. And I think I offered this example before. When my son was about two, he threw a temper tantrum in the store. I uh, I left the groceries there. I took him home, got a babysitter, left him with the babysitter, came back, paid for my groceries, went home. And when I came home, um, you know the the. Children have such a neat way of making you feel guilty. Don't you ever feel guilty? Uh, but he's standing at the doorway, and the tears are just, you know, just just creeping out of his eyes. You can picture it. And soulfully, he tells me, "You don't love me." And I very firmly say, "I love you very much, but I don't like what you did." And left it at that. I never had another temper tantrum. That's the only nice. time he ever threw one. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. But as I said, he you know, he was generally speaking a very happy child. Now remember right. I said when the teenage years hit. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that we have a whole other show for that, a whole other radio yeah. show <laughs> for the older kids. Um but we're yeah. really setting the stage now actually and again we're birth to five. We're really setting the stage though so that when they do reach those teenage years and those pre adolescent years and honestly adult years, because I've had Temper t- I've been with adults throwing temper tantrums, um, and oh, yeah. uh, it's not pleasant. And so what we're really hoping to do, and that's a big mission of the show, is to create a really great foundation of different kinds of skills so children, as they go through their life, 
um, across their lifespan can really be successful in so many different um, areas. But um, and you're okay. <laughs> you're very right, and because you know one of the things we're doing, we're building that self control. We're building the child to um, set their own expectations, which they need to learn to do. Uh, we're including them in our daily lives. These are things we all have to do, whether we like it or not, and we're giving them strategies to accomplish those. Right, right. It's about giving them the tools so they can work through things successfully. That's right. Um, how about how about things you've found over your career that um, parents are often surprised to learn about best practice regarding um, how we guide children out of challenging behaviors. What can you say oh, there? The one that always uh, amuses me is, well, it shouldn't say amuses me, but surprises me, is that I often hear parents voice the opinion that you need to let your kid cry for a while. Picking them up is going to spoil them. Well, it's absolutely false. And um, you, you, you can't spoil a child by picking them up. And the second one uh, is a common one that we use is timeout, and families are surprised to hear that it doesn't work. But, you know, if your child is misbehaving and you're putting them into timeout and they have nothing to do, they'll find something to do. And usually what they find to do is more disruptive than what you sent them to the timeout chair for. So that's a big one, too. Um Timeout is a really popular strategy that I see in the school systems and I see at yes. home. I see some people, though, using timeout or a constructive timeout where they give them something maybe to calm That's themselves right. down if they need it. Um, so there's, there's not all timeouts are created equal, we might say. Well, the timeout I'm talking about is placing the child on a timeout chair and the child sits on the timeout chair for five minutes or whatever you've decided and has nothing to do. That's the timeout right. that's inappropriate. Timeouts such as you need to go and sit and read a book or do a puzzle and think about what you've done are appropriate because you're redirecting the child into a calming activity and you can come back when you're ready. Or with older children, um, as I said with my son, you know, if if, um, if you need to calm down, your room's a good place to go. And really monitor what you do in your room. And when you're ready to come, you can join us again. It's always a child's choice to come back rather than dictating you're going to be there for 10 minutes. All right? And the last one uh, is uh, that parents are often surprised to learn that it's a really good idea to involve the child to discuss challenging situations and finding solutions jointly. Yeah, it's, it reminds me of that phrase that a lot of schools use as which is parents as partners and involving the parent in the educational process, I think we can think of children as partners in in, this, yes. um, in these challenging situations that you both need to talk about it and find a common ground and figure out how to solve it together. And even very young children, and even children who have learning disabilities or are not developing oh, yes. as quickly or in the right way, you really can talk with them. They understand a whole lot more than we often give them credit for. That's one of the big things I found across my career working with this population, um, is that we often miss, uh, we often underestimate what children understand and know. Um, even the ones who have special needs, uh, that's something um, I've always found. 
Well, I have a really good example of that. I was at one t- point in my career, I was teaching children with special needs, and these um, were at that point called trainable retardants. I can't, rem- I can't imagine the labels we put on children. And one of the things I really wanted the children to learn to do was to use the appropriate bathroom. These are uh, five, six-year-old, four, five, six-year-olds. And so, obviously, I don't have the right anatomy to take the boys to the boys' washroom. And we had these uh, washrooms that had the urinals that went right down to the floor. So we had a pretty good principal, so I asked him to come in and deal with the situation. And I'm standing outside the door, and I hear Earl, who is my principal, Mikey, no, no, Mikey, no, stop that. And there's no response. And the next uh, step was, Ingrid, get in here fast. I walked in, and there's Mikey. He's got one foot in one urinal, the other foot in the other urinal. He's flushing both and peeing in the middle. I walk in. He turns around, looks at me, takes his feet out of the urinals, moves over, and continues to pee in the right urinal. So, yeah, we very clearly, children, uh, know what's expected and sometimes pull wool over other people's eyes. And, of course, it's a lot of fun to flush toilet and, and flush the urinals and feel the water swishing over your feet. Right. So you, as someone who had had a relationship with him or had established boundaries with him, that was an example you were talking about earlier, how sometimes children behave one way with person A and differently with person B, um, and that's an example. And also... And also uh, the expectations. You know, sometimes, you know, we have expectations um, of what children can do. And because these children had some delays, the expectation was of the individual uh, that the child was incapable of doing this Mm -hmm. rather than expecting that the child knew what he was doing. And that's the difference, too. Right. Right. So we talked a lot about what parents can do or might consider and, and things that they should avoid, but what we didn't address is how this all happens in a real-life context, and a lot of these things can be very challenging for parents to, to do. So um, can you talk about that? What do you think is most challenging for parents, for them to be able to do these, what we think of as best practices when trying to guide children into more positive behaviors? Well, one of them is, is is stating expectations only once. It's, you know, you're on a timetable. You need to get out. Um, you don't always think about the result of your action. And it's hard. It's a conscious effort to go that route. So that's one. Um, we tend to get into habits, and those habits are hard to break. Um, and we also make assumptions. And, and, and the assumption is that, uh, what has been stated has been heard, which is not always true. So that's, that's hard to do, and we don't always take the time to follow through. And sometimes it's wiser to take the time and be a little late than to bear the consequences of the behavior. Right, so if we um, go back to those seven, if we go back to those seven exactly. steps you had mentioned, that will help us work through and that ex- stating your expectation once and then watching to follow through if you need um, can really be helpful. And I can remember uh, a parent, or no, it, it was one of the um, um, 
teachers who was working for me, and she said, you know, I'm really having a hard time with my child. I have to get her to daycare. Um, I'm, would you mind? I'm going to be a little late. She was always there on time when all the children were there, but, you know, the, the school parameters were such that she had to be there at a certain time, uh, 8.30. And she said, I may be 15 minutes late, but I really want to establish a good pattern. And that was fine with us. I mean, she more than made up the time she missed in the morning and as a result had a much happier child. So there are solutions for us in this scenario, too. We don't always need to think of the worst-case scenario. If I don't get to work on time, I'm going to be fired or I'm not going to be paid. It's this open dialogue we need to have when we're parents. Um, The other one is, as parents, we can easily forget that the reprimand for an unacceptable behavior in a child's mind may mean, you know, you don't love me. And that's something really important to remember. Children will relate to your voice tone, your facial expression. If you look angry, if you look upset, that often in their mind means, oh, my God, my mom doesn't love me. So it's really important to always give that message, I love you but I don't like what you did, so that they, can, um, that they can assimilate that and understand that. And yeah, I think that's an, last, an, an, an... Oh, I just wanted to comment there. I think that's important um, that, right, I love you, but I don't like what you did. And, and sometimes for a caregiver, if you're a babysitter or a teacher or um, some other professional working with a child, it might not be so appropriate to say, I love you, but I don't like X. Um, you might say, I really enjoy spending time with you, but or I like playing with you, but I don't like it when you throw toys at me or whatever the unacceptable behavior exactly. is. Exactly. Yeah. So I just wanted to, exactly. to put that there. That, um, But I think acknowledging um, or validating perhaps um, your relationship with that um, young child, and even though you don't like what they did, that you still care about them and... Um, um, want to be their friend, so to speak. And I've often heard that stated by, you know, I care about you, but I don't care for what you did. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, again, getting, getting that message out. Yeah. Um, and the last one I think that's really hard is this consistency of child, between child-rearing partners. And those could include in-laws. And there's often a lack of consistency in expectations. And, you know, in our modern society, it could be between your child care provider and between the parents. Uh, What you don't want the child to learn is that uh, challenging behaviors are okay in one setting and not in another. And children can learn that very, very quickly. And so it's really important that the partners in rearing and the child rearing practices need to be in agreement and need to be consistent. Right. They need to establish strategies that they can agree upon and stick to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and um, perhaps um, like listening to shows like this, and it could be that caregivers need some training on best practice and how you guide children through the types of behaviors that we find appropriate. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I'd like to leave uh, you with a thought there, and, and that's uh, the child who's gainfully employed, who's gainfully, who likes what they're doing, who is 
um, happy with what they're doing, doesn't have time to have behavior, uh, challenging behaviors. And that's mm. a real key for us to look to. So as long as we have activities, as long as we have interactions that are meaningful and enjoyable to the child, you're not going to get those challenging behaviors. Right. Right. Well, you have um, on your website, um, you have lots of really wonderful resources. Um, so maybe you can talk a little bit about how they can get in touch with you and find your website. And maybe um, can you suggest some other resources that parents might investigate on their own to learn maybe more about the topics we were touching upon today? I've listed some resources uh, that Teresa I hope you will post and some of yes. the ones that I've listed. Number one, you can always get in touch with me through my email, Ingrid at lifelonglearn.com. Um, you can my phone my phone number is seven eight zero four three nine four seven five seven. I have and a you're website up in Canada, that is right. <laughs> yes, that's Canada. So, yeah. Um, I have another website that's um, iLearner.com, and if you sign up for iLearner.com, you can receive a new uh, a newsletter, a periodic newsletter. I also encourage people to um, question or let me know what current topics they would like to hear about, so I will post those. Now, they're, they're shorter versions of what we talked about. Um, my website, lifelonglearn.com, is... Uh, presently under construction, so you can still see all the information on it, but you can't order. So if you wanted to order something specific or had specific questions, it's much easier to contact me by my email. Uh, Apart from that, I've listed some of the resources that I think would be very helpful. I've listed uh, Erickson's Stages of Development, and he has 18 all that carry us through our lifetime, and you might find that interesting, and also the Attachment Theories that talk about why a uh, secure attachment is so important. Um, one that I've always liked is Winning Ways to Talk with Children. It gives you very, it's a really good article to take a look at uh, to set up these positive, uh, these positive dialogues with children. Another one on the benefits of secure attachment. Um, so I think those are the ones that I think would most benefit you with respect to this presentation. Okay, yeah, I will put, Ingrid did share all these links with me. I will put them on the Blog Talk Radio um, page for this episode. It will also be up on the kidsa2z.com website. So we'll get those all up for you. So you can just click um, on the show's websites and, and, and access that information fairly quickly. So um, so as we start to wrap up, we always like to end with some really great takeaways that parents can focus on. Um, we always ask our guests to talk about their five fabulous facts for families. Um, so what can you tell us about um, your favorite advice, really, for providing efficient and effective um, positive behavior in children? Okay, first thing, get down to your child's level. You know, when children <coughs> look at you, all they see is your legs. You need to get in, down to their level. You need to have eye contact and pleasantly and firmly state what is expected and then ensure that the child understood. Did you understand that? Can you tell me what I asked you? 
And you can even do that with infants. I mean, you can tell by the infant expression whether they understood you or not. Um, Second one, reinforce expectations consistently. So when you've got what you want, you need to tell the children that, yeah, you did a great job. You're listening. I'm proud of you. That really helps keep the ball rolling. Uh, Number three, stating expectations only once. Again, check that they've been understood because if you've stated an expectation and the child didn't understand it, they can't follow through. So you always have to check uh, that it's been understood. And you, you, have to remi- you have to remember that sometimes gentle reminders are needed, uh, such as saying, do you remember what I asked you to do? And then you can give the prompts as needed. Uh, fourth one, remain calm. Develop a strategy that you will not deal with this situation until calmness is restored. All right? And the last one is ensure there are logical consequences for all behaviors, both challenging and positive. And my best example of that one is in the school system. When I was in the school system, I can still remember, somebody didn't finish their, didn't do what they were supposed to do. So we all had to be punished. We couldn't go out for recess because of one person. That's not logical. And it doesn't make any sense at all. It just carries resentment. Okay? Yes, I remember that one vividly from my childhood. And I did resent it as a child, especially when I was doing a good job and behaving appropriately. (laughs) But Ingrid, this is really wonderful information. Thank you so much. Um, Everyone, please, as always, if you have questions about child development you'd like us to ask or if you subject, excuse me, suggestions for topics, send us an email at info at kidsatoz.com. That's info at kidsatoz.com, and we will be happy to answer your questions and find experts that can talk about the topics that you're interested in. Also, remember, you could always download and listen to the show later on on the Blog Talk Radio website or go to www.kidsatoz.com and listen there. So everyone, thank you again for listening. We're going to have Ingrid back because she really has tons and tons of information. But that's it for today. We hope you enjoyed. Okay, bye-bye now. Ryan here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.